Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. Welcome to Horizon. I'm glad that you are here today. And can I just say, Dad's in the room. I know you've heard it, but I want to say it too. Happy Father's Day. And I would encourage you, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, I just want you to hear this because for whatever reason you're here today, whoever invited you, whoever brought you with, whatever that is, you know, this is a place where we believe that we come to ask questions, to explore, to dig deeper into who God is. And that if he is who he says he is, that, that that matters for who we are. And so I just want to tell you that I'm so glad that you're here. Because as a dad, whether you're a dad today, whether you may be someday, I think the best thing that you can give to your family, to your spouse, to your kids, is to be a man after God's own heart. That's something that I've learned in my own family, sometimes the hard way. But I'm thankful that you're here because this is a chance today even to do a little bit of that, seeking out God and who he is. In fact, as we look at our passage in Luke today, that's what Jesus is trying to help us do. He's he's trying to help us understand things, not only about who he is, about who God is, so that we understand our lives better. Because if you remember our passage last week, he was describing for his closest friends, his closest followers, some really scary things that were coming. Some of them would be in the near future, some of them were in the distant future, and he gave them prophecy, he gave them reasons why he was the only way, he took them there to make sure that they could understand that he was really trustworthy, that he really is who he says he is, so that when those things happened, they wouldn't be afraid. And so he's picking up right there in our passage this week, in Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 12. It says this, but before all these things... So all those fearful things he described last week, before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience possess your souls. So as Jesus describes this, I can almost picture if I'm, if I'm among his friends, if I'm among his disciples, if I'm standing there that morning and he keeps saying, this is going to happen to you, I'm looking at the other guys, I'm like, I, I think he means you, <laughs> right? I, I hope this isn't true for me. I hope he's saying this sort of like it might happen to somebody, but, but not necessarily to, to all of us, right, Jesus? Because if last week he was describing things that, that were scary, it's a lot more personal this week. These are fearful things that are going to happen to them as individuals. So how do we understand those things when they happen in our lives? How do we understand who God is if that kind of stuff is happening to us? And how do we understand if that stuff is actually happening to us, as he describes here, because of what we believe about Jesus? So I think in this passage, Jesus helps us understand so that we can take a stand. Jesus helps us understand those things that are happening and those things that might happen because we follow him so that we can take a stand for him. 
That's important to him, and it's important for us, because if I don't understand those things, then the questions only become doubts, the doubts only become fear, and then the fear drives me away from him. But here he wants to give us an opportunity to actually draw closer, even in the midst of the doubts, in the midst of the questions. So because it's Father's Day, I thought I, I ought to share at least one story about my own kids. And uh, my son Axel is, is one of these kids who is like deathly afraid of thunder. And I'll just tell you up front, he wanted to take this picture. He said I could use his name. He's excited for you guys to hear this story because of where it ends up. But a couple of weeks ago, I'm not even talking about last night. A couple of weeks ago, we had some major storms. And I remember there was one of those where like the thunder has to be like right over your house because you're sleeping. Boom! And it rips you out. And like before you even know it, you're awake. You're like out of bed. Like what is going on? So it rips me out of my sleep, and the first thing I hear is, ah, 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 like the loudest footsteps I've ever heard from him, and he is just screaming over and over at the top of his lungs. And I realize, like, he is not with it at all. Like, like, like he's out of bed, but he's not awake. He's just terrified, sprinting down the hallway toward our room. So not even thinking clearly, I, I jump out of my bed. I'm running to meet him as fast as I can. I end up meeting him at the door of our bedroom, and I just fell on the floor, put my arms around him, held him as tight as I could, and said, it's okay. It's okay. I'm here. I'm with you. It's okay. I'm with you. And slowly, as we kind of calmed down, you know, the storm continued. And so I used that moment. This is what reminded me of this, because it's just like Jesus. I use that moment to try to tell him how to know when the scary thing is coming so he doesn't have to be afraid. So we just did a little science, right? Like when you see lightning, right? Start counting the seconds because thunder is coming. And I know it's scary, but you don't have to be afraid. And so that night we calmed down, we went back to bed. But as you know, I mean, as that week went on, there were more storms. We had more last night. And a couple days later, we're all sitting in the family room, and there's another big storm. And I see a flash of lightning, and Axel is sitting right by that big glass sliding door. And I saw his whole body, like, when he saw the lightning. And he just sat so still and looked right at me. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, where's this going? <laughs> Boom! And after the thunder, he just started laughing. <laughs> I thought, okay, I hope I haven't uh, created like a psychotic episode for him. <laughs> you know, they would laugh in the face of danger, right? But here's what I found out. He was so proud that we were brave together. It was such a cool moment. And believe me, those are not all my dad moments. That's like a good one because it's Father's Day and I want to share a good one, okay? So, <laughs> but it struck me because even last night, like he never came in our room. Thunder after thunder. And it's because somebody had showed him how to know what was coming so he could be prepared for it. See, that's what Jesus is trying to give his disciples right now. Because if he just tells them it's all going to be sunshine and roses, then if something goes wrong, they bail out. But in these verses, I mean, you look at verse 12, he says they're going to persecute you, deliver you up to synagogues, prisons, kings, rulers, for my name's sake. It's not just random stuff that's happening, it's because they're following Christ. And this was really important for Luke's audience because at the time that he's writing this book, if you remember back to the very first chapter, like 24 months ago or something, in the very first chapter, he told them, I'm getting eyewitnesses. I'm writing down every detail. None of this is like stuff that I just kind of felt in my heart or whatever. I want you to have proof and evidence. He uses the words that you may know for sure. 
that this stuff is true. Because when he starts to describe this kind of stuff, if this is not true, I am not going through that for this. And I would agree with that. That's why in my own life, when I doubt, when I question, I dig deeper. I mean, literally, just in the last couple weeks, I could give you like the the random places that I bump into something in scripture and say, what is going on here? How, How can that be if this is this? And and there's no part of me that just wants to say, I don't know, whatever. You know, I'm sure it's, it's in the Bible, I believe it. Because he's telling us that there are times that we are going to face painful and difficult things because of the truth of who he is. So if we're going to invest in that, just like Luke, we want to know for sure. All right, we want to have that certainty. And every time I have dug deeper, I have found more and more and more certainty, more assuredness, so that when I come to something like this, you start to say, okay, I trust you, Jesus. See, that's what Luke wanted his audience to have because they were already facing persecution at the time that he was writing this book. They were already facing these exact things. And so Jesus is kind of managing expectations for them so that they won't give up when that happens. He's telling them and he's telling us, understand that you will be persecuted. Understand that you will be persecuted. There will be challenges to your faith. I met a gal a few years ago who described for me what it was like for her, you know, going to church when she was growing up. And they used to walk to church, even in the winter. And so she would describe for me how they would trudge through the snow to get to, actually, a house where they would meet for church with some other believers. And every week, somebody different would host. And I thought, that's pretty cool. You know, I've heard of, you know, small groups and things doing that. Kind of relieves the burden. You know, people kind of rotate whose house we're going to. And she looked back at me. She said, oh, no, that's not it. Every week, we would meet in one house. And we didn't decide until that day where we were meeting the next week because we couldn't afford for anybody to find out the pattern of where we were worshiping. And she tells me about the Sunday morning that they got all their cold gear on, trudged through the snow, got to the house where they were supposed to meet, knocked on the door, and nobody answered. And they found out later it was because the father of the family had been arrested and jailed for hosting religious services in his home. And when you hear that story, you immediately begin to think... Oh, she's not from around here. Right? In fact, she grew up in Bulgaria when it was part of the Eastern Bloc. And so she knew what it was like to face persecution. And it it was so interesting to hear her describe, like, moving to the United States. And there's, like, a church on every corner. And we visit all of them because this one seems okay, but I don't really like the carpet. That one seems okay, but I'm not loving the music. I don't know. And she's like, oh, my goodness, you can go anywhere you want with complete freedom to have unity with God's people. Forget that other stuff, you know? But that feels so foreign to us. And yet it's happening all around the world right now. And and I admit, there's a piece of me that wants to think that that was for like a certain time and it was really just for Peter. But there are people who call themselves followers of Christ who are dying for it right now. You know, if you just search some of the news on Burkina Faso, uh, Melissa and I had have a, actually her cousin was going to take a trip there to meet a child that they sponsor and they had to indefinitely postpone the trip because terrorist groups have started to specifically target Christ followers in that area to try to get some kind of political bent. You you hear about these things happening and it's every bit as real today, but I wonder, like, is this relevant for us? Is this relevant for you? Is it relevant, you know, in Cincinnati? You feel persecuted this morning? I, I think that's a good question to ask. Because there are times where, like, you know, you watch talking heads on TV and, like, this guy fights with this guy and then this guy argues with that guy and they all seem mad about something. 
And sometimes there's sort of this, this cultural tone that, you know, our culture doesn't like the idea necessarily that the Bible is true, or at least the idea that it claims to be the truth. And I get that, but do I feel that? And I think for myself, the reason I kind of ask this is, is I wonder if there's places I step into where I'm actually more naturally concerned about protecting my reputation or my relationships and actually back down from an opportunity for testimony and that it just floats right past me. So you can think about this too because maybe you've felt that. And here's some of the things that just come to mind for me here in Cincinnati, in, in North America, in our world. You know, sometimes we can worry about the legal ramifications of living our faith publicly. But especially because if, if I have a job, if I have a business, if I have a company, if I have people that report to me, you know, my public faith becomes more and more public, and I can worry about what would the consequences be of that. You know, or maybe this is one that's real for me. You know, we fear the relationship repercussions. So here's a... Here's a possibly goofy, and that's okay, but real example of this. A few months ago, because we'd bought a new house, we invited some of the neighbors over to hang out, have a pot of chili. And so one of my neighbors is, is sitting at the island with me in the kitchen, and we're just chit-chatting, and somehow we got onto, uh, he's telling me about his barber, because why not? And he says, this is what I love about my barber. All right, bring it on. He has three rules. No cell phones, no political talk, no religious talk. And so I'm, I'm sitting here with my neighbor, and I'm thinking, I want to get to know him. That's really cool. Okay, that's something really important. Wait, what did he say? No religious talk? That's like a core value for him? <laughs> Uh-oh. And, and it, like when Axel saw lightning, like my whole body, like I had this moment where I was like, what if he finds out I'm religious? Like, what, what if he finds out what I do for a living? And then, and then I lose my opportunity because he doesn't want to be friends anymore, and now I can't be friends with my neighbor. And like, wait a minute. Like, what is happening in my head right now, Lord? Especially because we're sitting at my kitchen island, and if you just look around the room, like, there's Bible verses on the wall everywhere. <laughs> like, every time God locks something into our hearts that it's like, this is the thing I can never forget again, hey, put that thing on the wall, <laughs> right? So, like, it's going to happen. It's not like I'm going to start pulling things down and hide from this, but what is it that happens in my heart in that moment? And that's a reality for us. Or, or maybe you think about, you know, if you speak up for integrity because you believe that God has taught you that, are you going to lose your edge? And you take all those things, put them in one bucket, and then ask, and what, what would happen if we did all of that in Jesus' name? And yet he says, in verse 13, it will turn out for you as an occasion, an occasion for testimony. What's the occasion? <laughs> testimony. What does he mean by this? Because as I describe that, what scenario jumps into your mind? You know, where do you imagine yourself, maybe in a moment where, like, you said, God gave me courage, and I spoke right into that moment, and it was so cool to see the way God unlocked some things. Or maybe you feel like, man, I think that's happened to me, and I missed it. I actually saw a Gallup poll recently, and maybe you know this. Did you know that people are more afraid of public speaking than of death? Is that crazy? And yet it's kind of true, right? Like, Jesus, I love you so much, I would do anything for you, I would die for you. Ah, oh, what do you mean talk to my friends about you? Do I have to do that right now? Like, you know, let me pray about that one, Lord. <laughs> like, it's real. I mean, I've, I've been there. And I think, that's, I think that kind of plays into this because we get that sense almost of like public speaking. And yet, Jesus says it's going to be an occasion for testimony. 
And this is fulfilled as we look into the book of Acts, which is like you finish Luke, you turn the page, and Acts shows up. The guys that were standing there right now saw this come true in their lives. They were prepared for this by Jesus. And this is what it says in Acts 4. As they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, okay, so there's the rulers they've been brought in front of, they came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000, just men, who saw two people tell what they believed about Jesus and get dragged away for it. And 5,000 men alone believed anyway. It became an occasion for testimony. So we've got to understand the occasion. We've got to understand the occasion. Because here's what it kind of reminds me of. When I uh, used to be on a basketball team, there's moments where you're in the game, and I, and I can think of this because it was me, so clock's winding down. It's like three seconds left. I've got the ball. I'm at the three-point line. I love to think of myself as a three-point shooter. This is my moment to win the game. Bang! And I'm still holding the ball. <laughs> Coach is like, What? Well, coach, I was afraid I'd miss. Really? Like, so you think about it. I'm afraid if I shoot this and I miss, everyone's going to be mad at me. Everyone's going to be disappointed in me. I'm going to be a failure. I'm going to mess up. And so instead, you just hold it and guarantee that you don't make the shot, right? You know, you think about this in a business environment. You're worried you're not going to seal that deal or get that account. Hey, just cancel the meeting. It makes no sense, right? And yet, there's something in us that feels safer because we feel like we're in control, that if I don't try, at least I can't fail, when actually what's really happening is we miss out on an opportunity to see God at work. We miss out on an opportunity to dig into our own questions and discover more about who he is. So we've got to understand the occasion because as I look deeper into that Gallup poll and they were unpacking what, what that fear is, there's different layers of it. Sometimes it's fear of failure. Sometimes it's fear of embarrassment, kind of that what will people think of me thing. Sometimes it's a fear of looking incompetent that I'm going to do my best and everyone's out there thinking like, not that good. But I think if you're sitting here this morning, if you call yourself a Christ follower, I'll bet that this last one sometimes is the most powerful in holding you back. It's a fear of being ineffective. Because sometimes you care about the other person so much, you care about Jesus so much, you want them so badly to understand this, and you're afraid, like, what if I get it wrong and they miss their chance? That's why I love what Jesus says in verses 14 and 15. I think he's speaking exactly into that. Therefore, hey, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will say. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You hear that? Almost like, hey, don't even think about it. Don't even worry about it. When you get there, I'll give you the words. Interestingly, this is, this is not really like an excuse not to prepare. This is a command not to prepare. Don't think about it ahead of time. Like, what, what, what is he really saying here, right? And now, I, I don't think that this is for normal discipleship. If you were volunteering in East Station at the 10 o'clock today, I hope that you prepared. I hope you, you know, prayed over those kids. If you're teaching our high schoolers. But there's something unique about this moment when you find yourself in a place that your faith might be challenged. That he's saying, don't worry about it. I know it's coming. Don't be afraid. 
I will give you a mouth and wisdom. He's telling you it's not your job to have the perfect outline, to have the perfect answer. Because this is me. I'm the strategic thinker. I want to come up with the 6,000 possibilities of what's going to happen every day at any moment. And then for each of those 6,000, I can come up with another 6,000. Because if I can think through all of that, then I'll be prepared for anything that happens in any conversation, in any crisis, in any moment, all the time. But if you're like me, (laughs) or if you're not like me and you're just rolling your eyes at me, you know it never follows any one of those options no matter how much you prepare. Right? And so Jesus says, basically, let God speak for himself. Let God speak for himself. That that is one of my favorite ideas as I've dug into the Bible, as I've explored this thing, as I've discovered this stuff, is how often people say, I'm not good enough, and God says, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm doing this thing, remember? I'm with you. Like a dad with his arms around his son in a thunderstorm, it's all right, I'm here, I'm with you. In fact, that's what Luke is saying in Luke 21, but this is not new information. Here in Luke 21, he says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom. That's Jesus. Just nine chapters ago in Luke 12, he says, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Same description he gave there, rulers and authorities. When you're dragged in front of people who are not just curious, not just questioning, they're antagonistic. That's the moment. He says, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you. It's going to give you the words. But we can go even further back to Exodus chapter 4, second book of the Bible. And if you know about the life of Moses, there's a moment where God calls Moses into leadership. And Moses says, not a good speaker, Lord. And if you know that story, he ends up sending Aaron with Moses. But before he ever agrees to send Aaron, he says this, I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I love this because to me, if we do like a little Bible math, it looks like Luke 21 plus Luke 12 equals Exodus 4. This is who God is and always has been. So do you believe that promise from him? Do you believe that promise from him that when you need the words, he will speak for himself? Because what I love about this, I mean, you could go ahead, flip through all the pages, read through the prophets. I was in Jeremiah 1 the other day. Jeremiah, I mean, his book's long. He had a lot of stuff to say. The first thing he says is, God says, go speak for me, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, I don't know how to speak. (laughs) God literally tells him, don't say, I don't know how to speak. I will give you the words. And what you discover is every person who kind of finds themselves in that moment They've spent a lot of time with God, with Jesus, before they get to that moment. Right? That they've been in this book talking to God about it. And so in that moment, he brings it all to mind. In fact, if you want a homework assignment, you can go read Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4 where Peter is doing this. Because you can see how even what Peter spoke was directly from Jesus. As if he was remembering the day that they all rode into Jerusalem and everybody had Psalm 118 on their lips and Jesus himself, to describe who he was and why it was so important to know him, used Psalm 118 and Peter uses the exact same piece when he's speaking to the crowd and says, hey, Lord, I need the words. Well, it's like Jesus said, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the message of the testimony is so simple. 
It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be every answer. In this moment, what's needed most is clarity. That Jesus died for our sins. For every way that we have fallen short of our own standard, let alone the standard that God has for us, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again to conquer sin, to conquer death, to give us that victory because he is the only one, the only name by which we find peace with God. And we looked a little bit last week at how offensive that message can sound and why Jesus gives us this kind of prophecy, this kind of proof so that we'll know that even though it may be hard to take in, if it's true, then we begin to trust him. And in that way, it actually becomes such a simple message. Jesus even said they can't contradict or resist. Except, wait a minute, didn't he say they're going to haul you to prison and kill some of you? (laughs) I don't know about you, that sounds like resistance, right? It's one of those moments where it's like, Jesus, did you mean to say this thing after this thing? Or were these supposed to be? What do you mean there, Jesus? Well, this is what I think he means. Because as he goes on, he keeps saying that this this is for my name's sake. I think what he's telling us is that even rejection brings him glory. Even rejection brings him glory. Because although they may reject the message, although they may not agree with you, although they may drag you away, they cannot actually contradict the truth of God's word, and they can't actually resist the power of his word. When God tells me things, and I kind of don't like them, That doesn't mean it's not true. When God tells me something and I don't want to obey, it doesn't mean he's not right. If he is who he says he is, if this book is what God says it is, that he wrote this for us to know who he is, to know how he is, to know how we relate to him, then no matter how much they reject, how much someone might drag you down, they can't actually contradict that truth. And as we saw in Acts 4, they can't resist his work. 5,000 men alone in that moment put their faith in Christ. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. In fact, that's one of the things that proves to me the validity of what Jesus is saying. Because I got to be honest with you, even as we sit here on Father's Day at Horizon, if somebody walks in here right now threatening to kill us for believing this, And then each one of us in this room has to make that decision. Because I'm not doing that if I'm not sure. I'll buy myself a little time. I don't know that I do necessarily, so I'm just going to step out. But we see time and time again in this book, in the book of Acts, as these days go on, that these men who stood with Jesus were so convinced they were willing to die for it. That people they shared with who hadn't met Jesus... And further on down the line, who hadn't even seen the miracles, were so convinced by the testimony that they were willing to die for Jesus. So as you're sitting here this morning, I I don't know where you're at. I know where I'm at. I know what I've wrestled through, struggled through. I know the questions I still ask. And I know that this can sound like, whew, maybe it's time for me to bail out. (laughs) Let me just encourage you, keep exploring. Keep asking questions. Keep pressing in, keep digging deeper. Because I think he's like that dad that that he runs to you, he puts his arms around you, he wants you to know for sure. 
He wants to be able to share that with you. And in some ways, I think this idea that even rejection brings him glory is probably the most painful part of this passage. Because he says in those next few verses, you'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. Like, we're not talking about the kings and rulers anymore. These are the people that you know the best and love the most. He says, and they will put some of you to death. It's a difficult moment to think about. So what do you do when it's the people closest to you, the people that you care about the most? Because usually those are the people, like, if you stand me before a king or a ruler or maybe, like, you know, the president or whatever, and he wants to be a jerk about what I believe, well, hey, I don't know you anyway, but I'm going to be bold, and I'm just going to tell you what I believe, right? What about when it's like a friend of mine, and we're so close, and there's something, like, it almost feels bigger at stake here. Like, prison would stink, but losing this friendship, what do I do? And what do I do when even my testimony, even, even the truth, even my love for this other person... It's still rejected. So I'd encourage you, the reality is that not every person you face who doesn't agree with what you believe is persecuting you. Jesus is not asking us to be combative. He's not asking us to go out there and start fights. In fact, as you're sitting here this morning, you may be asking questions. That may be part of why you're here. Maybe you came with a family member or a friend and you said, all right, I'll go along with this, but I'm not sure about that stuff. God loves people who are exactly in that place. Like the reality is when we get to chapter 24 and Jesus rises from the dead and it records how all of his friends and relatives reacted, like you can look it up. It's like word for word. Didn't believe, thought they were making up stories, was just straight up scared. The people who knew him best still needed time to spend with him to understand, did he really do what he said he was going to do? And so I encourage you, if you're having those conversations, you know, if you're talking to a curious friend, hey, join them in exploring. That's really a big part of what Horizon is here for, creating environments where we can ask those questions, where we can explore those things, and there's no pressure to just, hey, you've got to believe it because I do. But to spend that time together. If it's a questioning relative, ask questions with them. I had a great opportunity a couple weeks ago with my daughter where she came up with this question that it was like gnarly and it was going sideways and I'm like, she's nine years old, so I guess we're starting, starting like in the deep end, you know? And so we just took some time. I said, hey, when I hit a question like that and I haven't hit that one before, I gotta go do the homework. And I said, do that. Do that together. You know, maybe it's a, a skeptical spouse or loved one who just needs to see love, to see patience from you. That maybe what you believe doesn't mean that you have to be at enmity with them. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yes, that's exactly what I would want. If you just be patient with me, if you love me, if you let me ask questions, if we could do that together. And then if it does come to the point that it's, it's actually persecution, you're drawn before a persecuting authority, I believe he's instructing us to speak the truth with clarity and with courage for his namesake. As I was thinking about this, it felt like this is probably the place that it becomes more relevant to us. You and I do not have a great risk this morning that somebody is going to drag you to prison if you say that you do agree with this stuff, that you do believe this stuff. But it's those relationships. I think that's why sitting at the island with my neighbor, that's kind of where I feel it a little bit more. And it reminded me, um, we have a couple of friends, Joe and Felicia, who've been taking trips to Japan every year. 
And when they go to Japan, what they're doing is um, Felicia actually, which let's see if I can find her in the picture here. Where is Felicia? Toward the back. I'm not even going to be able to point to her, but she's there <laughs> teaching English as a second language, and they use the Bible as their textbook. And Joe, her husband, they go together to teach these kids then who Jesus is, give them an opportunity to hear that, some, usually for the first time, because Japan is a country that is less than 1% Christian. And so what's really interesting is you think about Japan, and you don't really think persecution. I mean, it's another first world country. Um, there's really not a lot of that. And yet what was very interesting, they, they told me a story as we were hanging out with them a couple of weeks ago about a gal that they had spent time with who put her faith in Christ. She believed that he is who he says he is. And so she went home and told her family. And her family said, that's great. Yeah, we can believe in Jesus too. Bring him in. We've got like a thousand and one other gods. Got a God for this temple. God for th- so what is Jesus the God of? You said something, bread of life. So he's like the bread God. No, um, actually, right? There's sort of that acceptance at first when she says, actually, I think uh, that he is the um, only God. Well, they didn't kick her out of the family, but she's been ostracized in her own home because now she's rejecting thousands of years of Japanese tradition, decades of their own family tradition, things that they share together because she said, I'm no longer going to go with any of those things. I believe that it's Jesus And it's only Jesus. And it's the relationships that start to splinter. Really cool thing is, about five years later, her husband also became a follower of Christ. And you just begin to imagine what God might be able to do through these things. But I think that's probably where we feel it a little bit more. You know, where we may be a little bit like Japan. And if you think of it, you can pray for them. They're leaving uh, in a couple weeks for another trip. But I think that's why Jesus says in those last verses... All of this is for my name's sake. You notice he said that twice now in this passage. For my name's sake. And that doesn't just mean because of me. This is a phrase that God uses throughout the Bible, throughout the prophets. When he is doing work, he says, for my name's sake. That's his reputation. It's for his glory. That when we speak truth because we know what it is, whether it's received or rejected, it brings God glory. Even Peter, who stood there in that moment, Jesus spoke to his face before returning to heaven and described, it says, by what death Peter would glorify God. You mean, you mean Peter who, like, when he was arrested, 5,000 more people came to, we can't let that guy die, he's doing great work, right? And yet even in his death, Jesus said, I'm going to be glorified. That's a hard message to hear. And in fact, Jesus says another one of these strange, like, did you mean to say that along with this? They're going to put you to death, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. Jesus, if I'm dead, it sounds like I lost all of them. (laughs) Again, what what is he saying? Well, remember, for them, this conversation is all right in line with just perhaps moments or days ago when he taught them about resurrection life. That even if they kill this body... Not a hair of who you really are will be lost. So by your patience, possess your souls. And that last line, that, that's not a line of salvation. That's not, this is how you earn it. When he says, by possess your souls, it's really kind of like, how do you carry yourself? You know, how am I with me in each given day? And that word patience really is an idea of steadfastness. Not just waiting, 
but steadfastly standing firm in a promise as you wait for it to be fulfilled because you believe that Jesus meant what he said. Carry yourselves with steadfastness. So I know that we all come to a passage like this, and I know that this can be heavy, and I know that this can be difficult to process. And I know that we're all in different places. But I'll just ask you this question then this morning. Are we ready to take a stand for his name's sake? Because I don't know what the future holds for any of us. I mean, I know what I expect the future to look like, and I know what I'm planning for, but we don't really know. We don't know if it'll look like it does in some of those other countries. We don't look like, know if it will continue like it is here. I don't know if it'll just be another time sitting at the kitchen island having a conversation. But are we ready to take a stand for his name's sake? So as we close in prayer today, I'd like to pray that way for us. I'd like to pray that way for Horizon, that this would be a place where God gives us occasion for testimony. And I'd like to pray for the persecuted people around the world who are part of that same family as you. If you are a trustworthy follower of Christ, if you believe that he is your forgiver, and you've got family members around the world who are facing this right now. So let's pray for us, and let's pray for them this morning. Our Father, it is in Jesus' name that we pray. And God, you know every heart here. And we know that you have overheard And Lord, I pray that if there are things that um, I have said or not said, Lord, that you would just translate them to the hearts the way that you want people to hear you. God, that you would speak for yourself. And God, I pray that you would bring us courage, that you would bring us excitement, that you would bring us just this trust and this patience in you, that when we have occasion for testimony, Lord, as unprepared as we might be, that you would just speak into the moment, that we might see you at work. And God, we pray that way for Christ followers around the world today who are facing different circumstances than we are or similar circumstances to us. Would you give them courage? Would you protect them as we trust your promise that you will give us words and that not a hair of our heads will be lost? Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name as we seek you. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here this morning. encourage you to come back next week and have a happy Father's Day.